in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hey there, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money. Yes, money makes the world go round. But does anyone love money? Now we're going to get into if I know the definition of love, which 
What if I was just like, we're about to call all my exes? Anyway, we may be uptight in America about talking about how much we love money, but the fact is most of us are kind of obsessed with it. Again, I don't know if that's love, but it's a pretty ubiquitous idea. So we had this thought, and by we, I mean me and my producer, Tamika, who is very shy and doesn't like to be on mic, that we wanted to learn about a culture that really loves to show off wealth and to talk about it. We Googled some really beautiful symbolism for money and wealth in Chinese culture, and we decided we wanted to talk to Chinese Americans who experience different sides of their identity, an American side and a Chinese side, each with their own unique expectations of how to value money, how to talk about it, and how to show it off. The first person I want to talk to is a Chinese-American TV writer, so let's give her a call. Hello? Hey, is this Jessica? Hi, it is. Hey, this is Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hello. I'm, I think our paths have crossed a bunch, but I don't know that we've met. Yeah, I think we have a lot of friends in common mm-hmm. who, who clearly don't think highly enough of either of us to introduce us. What? Yeah, you know what? Anyone listening that knows both of us, you're all on notice. Um, <laughs> can you um, can you tell my listeners uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, my name is Jessica Gao. I am a writer, um, mostly in comedy, actually only in comedy, and uh, I mostly write for TV. I've done some features work, and I'm currently the showrunner for She-Hulk for Marvel. So, okay, so when we asked you to do this interview, which was very last minute, mm-hmm. you, you immediately responded that you would love to talk about how much Chinese people love money. So what did you mean by that? <laughs> well, because you guys have my friend, our mutual friend, Andrew Keon, mm-hmm. who, was going to, who uh, is going to talk about uh, Chinese culture and um, the love of showing off wealth and uh, money. And so I was like, oh, yes, that's definitely something I love talking about. Um, well, you were born. I was born in China. You were born in China. Yeah. And then when did you come yeah. here? I came to L.A. when I was four. But then my parents sent me back, like, when I was, like, from seven to eight. Okay. So what did you mean by, like, what, what were you thinking of when we, when we brought that up? What, what came to mind? You know, like, culturally, like, like just uh, Chinese people have a very different, like, set of boundaries when it comes to money and relationship when it comes to money than like American culture. Like um, my parents, like, you know, there's like, there's no taboo on asking how much somebody paid for their house, how much people make, like all of that is, is it's totally okay and not rude to ask people. And so, you know, when you're Chinese American, like you understand both sides. And so you, you get to see like the complete lack of boundaries on one side and then the, very kind of puritanical, like tight lipness in American culture of talking about money and specifically asking each other about money. So like every time I get a new job, every time, you know, I sell a project or something, my mom will ask me how much, you know, how much the contract is worth and how much I'm getting paid. And then she like will go and broadcast, like literally every single person she talks to will know, like, it's like, she's a a one person like press release of like how much money I have how much money I make, like every single time. And she like, she wants to know everything. And, you know, all of her friends who they'll go to her, you know, if they go to somebody's house, who just bought a house. It's like the first thing they'll look at the house and they'll be like, well, how much did you pay for it? And they'll get into all the finances of it. And it's totally okay. And it's very jarring for people who aren't used to that, you know? Yeah. Why, why is that? Is it a culture of like sharing information or, or what are you bragging? What's the deal? Uh, I think it's a little bit, I mean, it's, 
only bragging if it's something to brag about, because it's like, you know, if I'm not making very much money off a deal, <laughs> it's nothing to brag about. But she'll but, still tell uh, people how much it's how much you're making, even if it's not a lot. You know, I bet she wouldn't volunteer that information. But if people asked, she would still I mean, it wouldn't it still wouldn't be rude for people to ask her. And I think she would probably still answer them. But like, I, I'm sure if I wasn't making a lot of money, she wouldn't be, you know, trumpeting it in the streets. Um, because there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a competitive edge to it where like, I mean, most immigrant parents, they play this kind of, um, you know, they, pit, they love pitting their children against each other because your children are a extension of you and they're like, you know, they're the best product you produced and their success is your success. And I think that's specific to Chinese culture, but also very specific to immigrant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like the my mom my aunts and uncles they love pitting all the cousins against each other it's this like one-upsmanship and like money is a big part of it you know what what your what what kind of job you have like if you have a doctor or a lawyer in the house obviously like that's a lot of points too but then money is also like a huge thing um money will will get a lot of uh uh of your other uh negative traits uh overlooked like there's like a it's like a sliding scale of like you can be ugly but if you're rich then that's cool (laughs) Like if you're if you're making uh, a ton of money but you're not married, it's like that's okay, like that kind of thing. Yeah, if you're like super rich, like they'll probably, I mean, they'll th- they'll think it's a shame, and then and they'll probably just want to try to set you up with people, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, or it's like you know, you don't you have a lot of money but you don't have kids. Like, look, there there's there's no end to like the the different things you're doing wrong that an immigrant parent can find to like you know <laughs> shit all over you for. But okay, so. So some cultures are very like modest about that kind of stuff. And you mentioned like Americans love money, but, you know, we just kind of buy a bunch of shit and um, what we never talk about. Like I on this show, I'm constantly like, I wish everyone talked in exact numbers because we could know if you're paying too much on your rent or if you paid too much for a Mm -hmm. house or all this kind of stuff. Like, do you find it helpful to know to know exactly what your cousin is making or to know uh, exactly what people paid? It's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, like my my curiosity is satisfied, but on the other hand, like I don't really enjoy it. You know, um, it's not cool because if you, because then it's I don't know. I, I feel like it, it makes the group dynamic very weird. But maybe that's because I was raised like I was raised in America, and you know I'm very American too. I, I often wonder if like if I'm skewing too American when it comes to that stuff. Um, because I'm sure if I like live my entire life in China, I'm sure I wouldn't care at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's this, like, I also think that like the other, the thing I love about Chinese culture is that there is no, um, shame about, um, openly say, talking about how much you love money. Like so much of like the way, the things we gift each other is all about a show of wealth. And, um, like my last birthday, the gift that my mom gave me for my birthday is a, 24 karat gold pendant for my for a necklace and it's a a little gold abacus a 24 karat gold abacus and there's a chinese character on it and it's the chinese symbol for wealth oh my god wait whoa why why do you think she did that uh well because it was really cute and she you know she said that um, for her like there was there was a little bit added like sentimental value because my grandfather was a cpa and and in his era in China as a CPA, he uh, he actually used an abacus and not a calculator. They didn't Aww. have calculators. 
Um, but also it was really cute. But, um, but just the fact that that is a thing that like we walked, it wasn't custom made. Like we walked into a Chinese jewelry store and it wasn't even the only 24 karat gold abacus pendant that was there. Um, and so the fact that this is a thing. Yeah. And that it's like, they want you to be wearing a necklace that says wealth. Yes, exactly. Like the Chinese character for wealth is carved into the abacus, you know? And like, my aunt also, for a different birthday, an aunt got me a, uh, a little 24-karat um, gold money sack pendant. It's also a pendant, money sack, and it has, uh, on one side, it has the word for good fortune, like, mm-hmm. and on the other side, there's a bat, because the word for bat in Mandarin is a homonym for uh, good fortune. And so you'll see a lot of bat imagery, because it's a homonym for things. Chinese people are also very big on, like, homonyms. So, uh, but like, just the fact that like so much of these things, like jewelry is made around like fortune and wealth. I mean, it's a 24 karat money sack. Like, I doubt that you can go into Tiffany's and like find like a, like a white gold diamond encrusted money sack, you know? So that, but then, but you can find something that it, that is the equivalent, like, like a symbol of wealth in terms of like the jewelry being 24 karat, whatever diamond. It's just mm-hmm. not, it's just not that obvious. <laughs> <laughs> not that yeah. literal it's like yes totally it's like it's an advertisement of like i love money and i want you to know that i want more money and i'm not afraid to advertise it on my body i'm gonna use something of value to denote that i want more things of value so i mean americans and chinese people then super differ on on showing their appreciation for money and wealth um but let's. This is going to come out around the Chinese New Year. So, can you tell us about how Chinese New Year is celebrated? Um, yeah, it's a it's a big family holiday. Like the the weight of it is the equivalent of Christmas. Like that's the one holiday a year where you have to do whatever it takes to get together with family. And in China, like there's a lot of like migrant workers who are from like rural parts of China who um, like you know a couple who have children will leave their children with like the grandparents and then move to like a big city like Beijing um, to work, to find work there and they'll send money home and they don't see their children like all year except for Chinese New Year because Chinese New Year, like uh, the whole country shuts down for two weeks. You get two weeks for Chinese New Year and it's like, it's just understood like nobody works during Chinese New Year. Um, and that's, you need to take that time to first spend time with your family and then see friends and extended relatives. Um, but like these migrant workers will spend like, three days on a train during Chinese New Year to get just to get home so that they can spend Chinese New Year's Eve with their family. Like that's the weight and importance of the holiday. It's all about family time. It's about starting um, everything you would do at a regular New Year, which is like, you know, really assessing your, your year and um, making plans, start doing, having a clean, fresh start for the new year. And kids really like it because that's when um, kids uh, will get red envelopes from all the uh, adults in their life. Um, And the red envelope is filled with cash. And, you know, the cash, the amount depends on however much that person can afford. But all kids and unmarried, like single people are supposed to get red envelopes from the like older generation who are like married. Mm-hmm. Um, are supposed to like pass out red envelopes of cash to everybody who's like a younger generation and unmarried. Yeah. So why is there so much red during the celebration? Well, red is a really lucky color, um, and also at uh, and the red envelope comes around uh, comes around during uh, weddings too. Like like Chinese people. I mean, now there are uh, people in China starting to like adopt a, more, a lot more Western traditions, but 
But really, like traditionally in China, like you don't do a registry, you don't give actual material gifts. You like all like wedding guests are supposed to give red envelopes full of cash um, so that the couple can like start their life with a shit ton of money. And so when you go to a Chinese like banquet style wedding, like all the it's like a it's like the uh, mob wedding in Goodfellas where like <laughs> everybody just hands it on envelope. It's very, very similar. Like every guest is supposed to come with a red envelope stuffed full of cash. And usually at the door, at the entrance to the wedding, there's like some trusted relative who's sitting there with a box <gasps> and and a registry. And so um, each guest will give the envelope. They'll, they'll, they'll count the money in the envelope, put it in the box, and then they'll write down on this register, reg- like a registry book, um, who the per- name of the person and how much they gave so that the bride and groom will later have a record of how much each person gave them. Oh, my God. Is there like is there any sort of embarrassment about giving too much or too little or nobody cares? I don't think any there's any embarrassment attached to giving too much, uh, <laughs> but too little. I'm sure I'm sure like depending on your relationship with that person, you might feel like it was a slight. Yeah, especially like if you went to their wedding, you gave them more like basically they need to like they keep a record so that they can match it when they go to your thing. Oh, my God. This is so petty. I love it. Yeah. And my uh, what's funny is like my my parents, you know that they're they're at an age where most of their friends like constantly their friends children are getting married and my dad said that like when he gets when he gets a wedding invitation it feels like he got a ticket like a parking (laughs) ticket that he has to pay now those also come in red envelopes so (laughs) um so okay so for chinese new year i mean so you said people are traveling people are trying to get like is it sort of like christmas where Mm -hmm. people are saving up their money for chinese new year and that's when they that's when they blow all of it on gifts and stuff yeah, it's the, well, not gifts, it's money. And and also, you know, like you want to have like a big feast um, together with your family. Like, like that's when you like pull out all the stuff. You have like, you, you buy like the best food, you have the big, you have a big family meal. This isn't a, this isn't a holiday where people go to restaurants. Like this is like family time, somebody hosts, everybody, all, everybody gathers at somebody's house. And it's like a huge feast that everyone's involved with. So nobody would give a gift on Chinese New Year. You corrected me. You said it's just it's just it's envelopes cash. of cash. And it's, and it better be a crisp one hundred dollar bill. Like nobody wants like a raggedy hundred dollar bill. You got to go to the bank. You got to get like a crisp uh, <laughs> bill. You can't give like a gross, dirty, like sweaty looking dollar. <laughs> oh my god. So are, are there is Chinese New Year celebrated differently in the U.S.? Like what do you guys do? Well, it, it's different first and foremost because it's not it's not a two week long holiday. Unfortunately, you should just call in and be like, I'm calling in Chinese new year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know I should. And so because of that, there just isn't that like pomp and circumstance and fanfare of everything. So, you know, like most families I know and my family, we just, we just make sure that we have Chinese new year's Eve dinner together. Um, And, but, and that's really kind of it. And, and, you know, you might go to, and maybe like, if it's like the weekend or something, my parents might go to some parties mm-hmm. and, and, the, and they'll have like a bunch of red envelopes full of cash ready for any uh, children who are at these parties that they'll be giving out. And, and it's also a time where you should like go and visit your friends. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, you're supposed to like, so basically there's like things you're supposed to do each day of the 14 days. And, um, and one of the days is like you go and see your friends and like you, you, you know, you bring their children cash and, and like that's when you can bring them like a gift of like, I don't know, like some food or something. Or like wine. Um, is there so? Are there other money traditions, not just Chinese New Year, but other money traditions that uh, that in China that you can think of? There is a funeral tradition. You know, when um, 
when someone dies, like a lot of times people burn, uh, there's, there's actual fake money. It's called funeral money that people buy specifically to burn so that it's money that the, that the deceased person can take into the afterlife. It's riches that they can take into the afterlife. It's fake money though. Um, yeah, it's fake. It's specifically printed for, for funerals. And so it burns quick, you know, and, um, any, if you go to any Chinese supermarket, there is going to be a section of, of like funeral money and candles and things like that. Uh, there's a whole industry of like, you know, it's like a paper car and they can take the, take a car with them into the afterlife. Like whatever you want to oh. burn, um, it's what they're taking with them in the afterlife. So it's gotten really elaborate. There's like houses that you can like paper ha- funeral houses, um, that are made of paper that you burn and, um, cars, clothes, things like that. Um, and it's all to send off. It's all riches to send off with your loved one into the afterlife. I, we kind of talked about this, but like, yeah, I guess like, so prosperity is, is seen as something like public or like good to share. Is it it, it good to share? And we've talked about on this show how like America has the American dream and, um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, the idea that like, is, does that mean success or in other cultures, you kind of view America or the American dream as like just becoming rich. Um, is that a thing? Like it, it, it's just like, working to become rich is kind of the for Chinese people too, is kind of like the, the crux of it, like the whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm yes, because I think that money, you know, symbolizes stability really. Like at the, if we're getting in like armchair therapy into it, it's like, it's stability, you know, it's, it's so that parents know that when they're, when they're gone, like they're, they, they can go, they can leave this mortal coil feeling reassured that at least their kids can be taken care of with the money, you know, like that to them, it means stability. It means you get, you can, you can get healthcare, you can get, you'll be fed, you'll be clothed, you'll be sheltered. Like that's what that really is. If you get to the crux of it, that's what money is. It's, it's, it buys you opportunity and buys you stability. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Good talking to you. You too. We got to take a quick break. But be right back with the epic return of season one guest and podcaster, Andrew T. And we're back. I want to hear more about what it feels like to have these dual expectations to be Chinese and to be American and to have these pressures to value wealth and money in certain ways. So I asked my good friend, Andrew T, to join us. He talks about race for a living on his podcast. Hello, Andrew. Well, I would ask you to tell my listeners who you are and what mm-hmm. you do, but, which we can refresh, but you are a return guest. I'm back. <laughs> you are back to the pod. He's back, folks. Um. So, yeah, can you tell tell them who haven't heard you in season one? Yeah, totally. Yeah, who you are uh, and what you do. I do. I uh, My name is Andrew T. I have a podcast called Yo, Is This Racist? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a podcast which Gabby has been a treasured guest on. Yeah. Uh, I was on your 100th episode. Um, That's right. 1,000th episode. 1,000th episode. Does it, it's sort of a long <laughs> Where story. you solved racism. Well, we had, yes, correct. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So you are Chinese American. Yes. So what does that, what does that mean to you? Oh, um... That's a good question. Uh, so I think the thing with being Chinese American... Uh, for me specifically, is I'm Chinese American in a way that is not what the majority of Chinese American people are. Because I was born um, in Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, not close to a big Asian community. I mean, I guess I was close. There's there's one a decent sized one in Windsor, Ontario, about an hour away. But okay, um, 
I didn't grow up with a big Asian community as opposed to like folks that grew up in like San Francisco or New mm -hmm. York or even Los Angeles, like where they're around a lot more um, Chinese people or Asian people. Um, so for that reason, I mean, I think the best example of this that I have is that it didn't, it wasn't until my like probably college that I started to realize some things were Chinese and some things were just my parents. Oh, like what? I'm trying to think of a specific one. I always like, I mean, and some things that were common that I thought were unique to my parents. That's maybe yeah. a better example. Like, um, we have a dishwasher, but we only use it as a dish rack. Just to dry the dishes? Yeah, just to put dishes that you wash my hands into. Okay. Um, and that's a Chinese That's more thing? common than I realized. <laughs> yeah. But for instance, I didn't know until um, I got to, I think, college that there was a stereotype that, like, Chinese-American or Asian-American people or Asian people were bad drivers. Oh. And then I was like, oh. And then I, when I fucking came back for Thanksgiving the first year from college, I was like, my dad is a horrible driver. Oh, my gosh. It really bummed me out in a lot of <laughs> oh ways. Because I remember thinking, like, that's fucking bullshit. Because, you know, I was born in Michigan. Yeah. So I'm, you know, very American, but specifically, like, car culture, that kind of shit. So right. I'm like a, you know great driver, maybe slightly too aggressive, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But like, you know, I'm a very American <laughs> driver. So like, yeah. there's that thing where I was like, oh, this is what people are talking about. So so I think because of the way I grew up, I had a lot of um, culture that I had to like either assume mm -hmm. or like um, come into. But then, you know, we would go to like um, Taiwan or like China when I was a kid and um, you know, I was exposed to things that way, but that was also very like, okay, these people are like Chinese, Chinese. And Different I know, from I me. know that's not me. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, pick up a ton of stuff. But I think that's like, then you have the insight of, of both, let's say, cause mm -hmm. like, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of the, the different ways that money and wealth and prosperity is interwoven into Chinese culture. And mm -hmm. we, we come to, I think think of Asian people as wanting success or wanting like jobs yes. with money. Yes. Especially like the waves of more recent immigrants, right? So first or second generation, it is almost like when you boil down what freedom or prosperity is, it is money. Like, you yeah. know, even, even if like, like people, um, or maybe, you know, that's like a voluntary, uh, uh, immigration sort of thing. Obviously, there are reasons to leave your home country, but one of the major voluntary reasons is um, money. It's it's what the wink wink of pursuit of happiness is. Right, it, happiness, in, quote unquote, money. Yeah, is money. <laughs> the I think the deeply ironic thing is like because my parents don't have any specific attachment to like American culture, really. Like mm -hmm. they don't seem to like it very much. You know, they don't like America per se. Right. They liked the idea of making more money than they could in um, Hong Kong and Taiwan, sort of respectively. They, in the pursuit of money, sacrificed for both themselves and for us, mm -hmm. um, sacrificed many cultural things that caused huge problems. Like yeah. the the extent to which I don't get along with my parents is largely driven by the fact that I do not live up to their expectations and they do not really live up to my expectations as like an American who thinks mm. that parents should be one way. Right. Um, they don't provide that. Right. And I certainly do not provide what they want out of a kid. 
truly, my mom, um, I like will 100% guarantee you, I am nearly 40 years old mm -hmm. and I am doing fine. Yeah. She will, if not physically, like give me a law school application this Christmas, <laughs> um, she will at least bring it up. Sure. Like, right. I mean, come on, it's time for law school. <laughs> and she only thinks law school because she thinks, well, okay, you think you're a writer. And I guess, like, if you're good with words, lawyer, lawyer. is the best one to do it. But oh my yeah, God. straight up, like, like she just doesn't process that and doesn't want that. And really, really, really does not like being told no because she comes from a culture. She had, she was very obedient to her elders and right. her, her parents. And it's just interesting that it has truly, like, the the biggest wedges in my life and my family are all culture clash stuff but they sacrifice so much yeah. just for money and it's mm -hmm. like i don't understand how that was worth it to you is this coming from a place where they're viewing money or wealth as like like safety like they just are it's yes. like from a loving place yeah, yeah for sure and yeah. they were literal war refugees right like they were on the run my dad was on the run from mao from yeah. the ages of zero to five right like so, so they're like, how do you not think money is the most important thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because this is like, you know, guess what, motherfucker? We could have died, you know. Like, yeah. So this is the like, – like you don't understand that life, this is like essentially the second thing after life. Is money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. because or, or it's – they're one and the same. I've got more questions, but we're going to pause here. We need to take a super quick break, so be right back. And we are back. Is there a way that you would um, judge whether someone has money or not? Like, what are some signs, you know, like if uh, in a family or something like or if I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like if I moved, if I'm I don't know, if I moved to China or whatever, like what would be the. Well, what would so, make people think you're wealthy or you're poor? There's a kind of this interesting difference. I mean, I, I call it white BMW mentality, which is like cross many cultures. Yeah. But you definitely see, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, which is like in LA, you see like Persian and Armenian folks like mm -hmm. driving a lot of white BMWs. But also if you go a little bit east in here, you see like Chinese people, richer Koreans, like that mm -hmm. kind of shit, like driving those same cars, like to show you're rich. And it is this interesting thing. And that's sort of like the immigrant take on it, which is like, it's like American culture filtered through a lens. So it's like white BMW, Rolex, mm -hmm. like, you know, suits sort of cut a certain way. Gold mm -hmm. is like really popular because it's still like you're you're still like, you know, maybe a first or second generation immigrant. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, if you or your parents are like successful, there's like a model for it. For what you're what you have. What you have. And yeah. it's all the same shit, which is really to me interesting. <laughs> Do you watch Succession? I don't. I'm sorry. It's just about a, a rich yeah, yeah. family. But someone was talking about the clothes on Succession and they were like, why don't these people dress better for how wealthy they are? Yeah. And someone was saying um, they're wealthy, but they don't um, – there's no individuality to it. They don't yeah. have taste. They're just wealthy, so they buy what what is expensive. And so everything that they wear is very similar, very similar color schemes. There's no creativity to it. Because it's just like off – like, oh, that's what the mannequin at Barney's is wearing. So that's right. what I'll wear. Uh, and that's like what you just reminded me of is that there's like this this uh, blueprint to wealthy. Yeah. That's interesting because I actually would maybe put a, a slight spin on that. In Knives Out, Chris Evans' character 
is wearing like a like a, a sweater with a bunch of holes in it. Yes. And there's a hard divide about like, oh my God, if he's supposed to be rich, why is he wearing a sweater with holes in it? And like, you know. That's exactly what a rich person would yeah, do. Yeah, the richest people <laughs> dress like the shittiest. Yes. Or like a type of rich person dresses the shittiest. Yes, yeah. Um, And, and that kind of mentality. Because my mom used to hate, um, you know, because so I was growing up in Michigan around – you know, in my retrospective opinion, probably too many white people. But it was also during that sort of like grunge era. So yeah. like I would um, go to thrift stores just like everyone else from my like kind of right. middle, upper middle class high school. And yeah. I was like, that's the shit that we did. And it drove my mom fucking crazy. Because she was like, you know, the the kind of first immigrant thought is things like people are going to think I can't afford to like put you in, I don't know, American new clothes, Eagle or whatever. New, yeah, you can't, the why wouldn't you have new clothes? Yeah. And so yeah. the concept of not embracing like not just prosperity, but like a type of prosperity mm-hmm. was like so foreign to her, drove her crazy. Yeah. And then going back to another thing is like the diff- like the, the wealth signifiers. I remember just when I was in China a long time ago in college, so many, many years ago, but um I there was a like people could instantly visually identify me as American. Really? And when I finally talked made enough like friends I could kind of ask shit to in China, um they were like two things, your jeans are too nice and you walk too confidently. What? <laughs> yeah. And 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 you're like bigger than us by a lot. Although I was in Beijing so there were big people like but like you know, I'm. You, they were like, "Yeah, you clearly had fucking calcium growing up." And oh my like, god! Just shit like that was just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we can see." But but so that's like a thing where like I had some cultural signifiers yeah. of wealth because I was like, you know, again, big and but it was also like, but you're also, you're not super rich, yeah. Because if you were super rich, it wouldn't just be jeans; it would be like again, you know, Fendi. at the time, yeah. Well, yeah, different whatever, but yeah, yeah, different yeah, brands, yeah. that kind of shit. So it's like, so you're American. Wow. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. But it, like, and it was like everywhere. Like, um, like street hawkers in, in like Beijing is touristy enough. People, enough, everyone speaks, everyone who works in a tourism based industry speaks enough English. Like, people would yell at me on the street in English because they knew you were American. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right away. And so I was just like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> I can't fucking fit in anywhere uh-huh. ever. Oh my God. What a thing to end on. Uh, thank you so much for returning Thanks to the show. I me. really appreciate you coming back three years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to remind oh my God. No, no, no. There was a season one of this show uh, <laughs> and Andrew was on it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's super interesting that some people might see someone in nice jeans or driving specifically a white BMW and think American money. Plus, how we each value money can create these culture clashes, even within our own families. I mean, obviously people listening to this show are not surprised by how much money can worm its way into your family dynamics. Have you guys heard any interview with my parents on this show? You know what? I'm going to give my mom a call. You know who deserves envelopes full of cash? You! You! You are clearly a wonderful human being with excellent taste in podcasts. Here's a red envelope. Please share your expertise by texting a link to this episode with your friends. And make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineers are Brendan Burns and Justin Asher. Our audio is edited by Andy Christens and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. 
Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn. See you next week. Happy Chinese New Year, everyone. <laughs>